0: 15, not 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be in the final nine verses today, verses 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the final nine verses, 50 through 58. These are uh, the title of our lesson this morning is just some final thoughts on the resurrection. As most of you know, if you've been here the last few weeks, the entire chapter, uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, is Paul talking about the resurrection of believers. He's not trying to prove the resurrection of Christ. That's taken as a given. What he's trying to prove is that you and I will also be resurrected in, as well, not just in spirit, not just our soul, not just our inner person, but our bodies will come out of the grave and be and be changed. And so that's been the whole chapter. And so we'll just finish up today with some final thoughts. Um, so my first thought is this. And I want to talk a little bit about this morning on Paul's preferences on dying. If you really take time to look at Paul's letters, he says some pretty amazing things. And one of the things you'll find out that when it, come to die, when it came to dying and living, Paul really has three preferences. And I'm going to give them to you from first to last. And I want to start with this. You, I said last week, is everybody always y'all have heard this saying, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but what? Nobody wants to die to get there. Okay? Now when we say that, you probably we all we all kind of snigger and laugh at that, but we all agree with it. Nobody we all want to go to heaven, but who in here wants to die to get there? Nobody. Would it surprise you this morning to tell you that Paul felt exactly the same way? So I want to give you a couple things this morning. One is gonna help you, and I hope that two is gonna challenge you. So here's Paul's first preference when it came to dying. Paul says, my first preference is I'd rather not die at all. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 4. Paul says this, for while we are still in this tent, now when he's talking about a tent, here he's referring to this body. While we are still in this body, we groan being burdened. But now watch, he, don't want, he doesn't want you to misunderstand what he just said. So he stops and he says, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You see, Paul, his first preference is not to die at all. His first preference is to be alive when Jesus comes back. Look at that scripture again. Paul says, I'm groaning, I I want to be released, but he he stops and says, not from this body. See, Paul understands that the, the spirit being separated from the body, there's something not natural about that there's something not right about that god created us as a as a spirit and a body and paul says we don't want to be unclothed it's like being naked when the spirit is outside the body paul says that's not natural that's not what i want what i what paul really wants is is exactly what every one of us wants there's not a person in here that say i'd rather be alive when jesus comes back wouldn't we wouldn't that be our first preference so if you feel that way this morning, you know what? I, if, if I could just have my preference, I'd like to be here alive and let Jesus come back, and I wouldn't have to die. And I'm going to tell you this morning, that's okay. Paul felt the same way. It's not right to die. There's, the last enemy is death. Nobody should look forward to that in, in that sense, right? So that's what Paul's saying. He, he, he doesn't want to be <clears throat> unclothed in the sense of being separated or stripped from his body. That's, that's his first preference. Paul in fact, would prefer never to leave his body, but yet he knows, listen, he has no control over that. He doesn't know when, when Jesus is coming back, just like us. So he doesn't know if, if his first preference will, will ever come true. So he goes on to his second preference. And we find this in Second Corinthians 5 eight. Paul says this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would, look at that word, what? Rather. I'd rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. You see, Paul says, my first preference is, I want to be here when Jesus comes back. I don't want to die. But if that's not, if that's not God's will, if, if, that, if that's not going to happen, that's not God's will, then if my second preference is, I'm ready to go home today. I, I would rather die and go be with Christ. Because that is way, way better. So what he's saying here, if it's not God's will that he be alive when Christ returns then he says, my second preference would be just to go ahead and leave the body and go home with, and be with Jesus. Even if that means separated, uh, being separated or stripped from my body. That's his second preference. His third preference is this, and, and that is to go on living by faith. Watch what he says in Philippians 1, 22 to 24. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. In other words, he's saying, I'm having trouble making a decision. Now, what's his next word? My what? Desire. My desire is to leave and go be with Jesus. You see that, what he's saying? My, my preference right now, if I could have my way right now, is to go be with Jesus, because that is way better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And he's talking to the Corinthian church. So his third preference is, okay, if, if, I, if it's not God's will that I be here when Jesus comes back... And if it's not God's will that right now I, I leave this body and go be with Jesus, and He wants me to stay here longer, if it's better for you that I stay here and teach, if it's better for you that I, that I preach the gospel, if it's better for you that I plant churches, if it's better for you and, and for the glory of God, then Paul says, okay, I'll stay here as long as God wants me to and advance faith here on this earth. That was his, that was his third preference. Now, here's my question this morning. Are we out of step with those preferences? You see, I think when it comes to number one, we all agree, man, if I could just have my way, I want to be here when Jesus comes back. And that's okay. But what about the other two? Can you really say... And in fact, let's ask these questions. Do we set our mind on things above and not on the earth, as as Paul tells us to do in Colossians 3? Do, Do we really live our lives like our home is in heaven and not on this earth? Are we really waiting for Jesus to return, as Paul says we should do in Philippians 3? Do do we really feel in our heart of hearts like death would really be gain and not loss? Or do we see death as loss and not gain? Those are all good questions to see where our priorities lie. I want you to listen to this. I reread this again this week, and it just hit me with such force. This is Hebrews chapter 11, which we call the Hall of Faith, where, where the writer of Hebrews is talking about these great men and women of faith. And this is what he said. And I want you to look at their perspective. He said, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. When we really look in our heart of hearts, do we really believe that this is not our home? You know, how many of you have ever been homesick? Are you homesick in your heart of hearts? Do you... Do you just say, man, I I just don't belong here. This is not my home. I'm just a stranger here. I'm a nomad. I'm an exile. This is not what it's all about. Is that in your heart of hearts? Because that's what was in Paul's heart. So I ask you this morning, are we out of step with those priorities? I want to say one more thing about this. I know that many of us here at River of Life are praying for revival. Okay, But I want to tell you this morning, let me tell you what revival really is. Revival is the Lord pouring out His Spirit in such a way that people desire Christ more than they want anything else. That's revival. See, revival is not first miracles and prophecy and tongues and, and, and a lot of services and a lot of people. That's all great. But that's just the outside. That's just the trappings of revival. Revival is the inflaming of our love for Christ. That's where Christians just fall so in love with Christ that this world is nothing. And can I tell you that when that happens in your life, the, the, those of you that are praying, for you'll start seeing your family come to Jesus because they're going to see something in you that they won't. You'll see your community change because your church is going to change, all because our hearts change. That's revival. That's where we start with revival. It's not about, again, I think the church services and the music and, and all that goes with it is great. But revival is all about our love for Christ and, 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 and inflaming that love for Christ. So our prayer should be this when we pray, that we grow to love Christ so deeply that His coming would be our great hope. We live every day looking for Him to come back. And that we would actually see death as a gain, like Paul did. Paul says to 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 die to live as Christ, and to die is what gain. I, I gain. That's how he saw life. But as long and the third thing is, as long as we're here, and he sees fit to leave us here, then we'll live this life on earth for the glory of Christ and His kingdom. That's what Paul said. That's what revival is, is all about. All right, we're going to do a various thoughts this morning. My second thought here. Um, is a wrong view of heaven, a wrong view of heaven. It seems to me that the hope of the resurrection doesn't hold as much focus, as much power, as much centrality for us as it did for the early church. And I think one of the reasons for that is that most of us have a wrong view of heaven and we have a wrong view of the, of the age to come. Most Christians. I, I, I saw an article the other day where, um, anyway, we won't go. It was a survey, and, and and they surveyed some Christians, and they asked them, "Will you have a body in heaven?" And two thirds of Christians said, "No, no, we won't have a, a body in heaven." That see see most Christians. If you ask them what's heaven like, they'll say, "Well, it's, you know, we're a bunch of spirits, and we're floating around on the." On the, on the clouds and doing... It all goes back... I remember years ago, or I say a couple years ago, I preached on heaven. And a lot of it, we get our view of heaven from movies. We get it from books. We get it from all the wrong places. I, 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 there's a, a passage out of Huckleberry Finn where it says this. It says, Huck Finn says, She went on and told me all about the good place, talking about heaven. And she said all a body would have to do there was go around all day with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I wouldn't think much of that place either, right? See, see, we've got how many of you have this, have had this idea of heaven, and you maybe even had to get rid of it, because as a kid you see angels and harps and clouds, and you see this in advertisements and books and movies, and so we've got this view of heaven, kind of these disembodied spirits, kind of floating around out in the out in the sky, and, and by the way. Disembodied spirits, that is the way it is now for those who have died. That is true. Those, when, you are, when you die, your spirit goes to be with Christ, your body goes to be in the ground. But we've encouraged ourselves so much with how good it is for them now that we forget that the way it is now is not the way it will always be. Okay? And let me, let me explain that here. Listen, yes, to die is gain. To die today, it's better to be with Christ than it is to be here. Being in Christ with heaven is way better. Even outside of your body is way better than it is here. But that's not the end. That is not That's all that's ever going to be. That should not be our final comfort. Listen, I I went back this week and I, I saw something in Thessalonians I want to point out. There's a wonderful example in Thessalonians of this very thing. You remember in Thessalonians, there's a passage of that letter where Paul is writing to encourage people that have lost loved ones. Okay, Their loved ones have died, and Paul is writing them to encourage them. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. And he's talking about those who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, let me ask you a question. I put a question mark there. What would you expect him to say right there? Would you not expect him to say the same thing that we say when we comfort people? Do we not say this? They're better off with Jesus. They're with Jesus right now. Do we not? How many of us we say that? They're with Jesus. They're better off. Listen, and that is true, but that is not what Paul said. Paul didn't say that. And you would have, I would have expected him to say, listen, I want y'all to come. Be, you know, I want you. I don't want you to grieve like other people do. They're with Jesus. They're they're way better off. He doesn't say that. You see, when the church in Thessalonica lost believing loved ones, the main comfort that Paul offered was not that they were with Jesus, which, by the way, is true, and it's also wonderful, but his main comfort was, hey, guys, one day their spirits are going to be rejoined to their body. Let's read verses 15 through 18. This is the same thing. He said, I don't want you to grieve like other people do. And he says, listen to me. You see, when Paul was encouraging people that had lost loved ones, he didn't just say, hey, they're with Jesus right now, which, by the way, is exactly what we say. He said, no. He said, there's something else coming. See, he didn't stop where they are today. He, He took a look ahead and said, there's something even better coming down the road. You see, today what we do is, do we acknowledge that our loved ones have preceded us? We do, right? But we acknowledge they preceded us because they've gone to heaven first. But see, Paul says, no, 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 no. Let's look, let's look a little bit beyond that. You see, we, the, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is we tend to stop and think merely in terms of going to heaven. And we kind of stop there. They got there first. They left their bodies behind. But that's not what Paul says. Paul looks ahead and sees our final destiny. And what he says is this. They precede us. That is true. But not because they get to heaven first, but because they will be raised first. That, everybody see? I mean, he's looking at the resurrection. He looks past the way it is now, and he looks to our final destiny when our bodies will be rejoined with our spirits, and, and we'll live that way forever. Okay? Our final and eternal, eternal destiny is not some ethereal, disembodied state where we're floating around outside of our, of our bodies. That is true now. But our final destiny is to reign with Christ in a new body. And I'll tell you in a minute, we'll do it right here on this earth. That is our final destiny, okay? And this was so real for the early Christians that they comforted each other with those words. That when somebody died, they went up and said, man, the resurrection's coming. The resurrection's coming. They didn't just stop with, well, they're in heaven now. They looked beyond that and say, man, there's something better than that even coming we will be rejoined with our resurrected bodies. And today's passage in, in 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful description of that event, as we'll see in just a minute. All right, <clears throat> one more thought. Actually, a couple more thoughts. What is a spiritual body? Okay, And I bring this up because of, of verse 50. And if you've got your Bibles, look at verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 50. This was Paul, what Paul says. He says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now that, I want to stop right here on that verse because that almost sounds like a denial of a bodily resurrection. Paul's saying, look, flesh and blood can't go to heaven. Flesh and blood cannot exist in heaven. And there's a reason for that, by the way. But what does Paul mean by that? Is he, is he literally saying that 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 a body like this can't go. That our body in heaven won't be like this. That it'll be a ghostly body that you can put your hand through. Is that what is that what Paul is is saying? Well, the answer to that is no. And and to answer that, I want to go back uh, actually almost a year to First Corinthians chapter two, where we first started this study. In First Corinthians two fourteen through fifteen, Paul says this. I want to read this. He says the natural and he, and there the Greek word for natural is psychikos. He says, The natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual, and the Greek word there is pneumaticos. the spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no man. Now, if I ask you to, to read that verse and tell me what the difference between a natural man and a spiritual man... Would you say the natural man is made of flesh and blood and the spiritual man is a ghostly, is a ghost? Is that what you would get out of that? Is that what Paul's talking about at all? No, what's he talking about? Huh? He, he's talking about those who know Christ and those who don't. Those who are dominated by the Spirit of God and those who are dominated by the Spirit of self. That's exactly what he's saying. See, the natural man, he's not talking about a physical man, a a man of flesh and blood. He's talking about a man that's oriented toward its own human nature. And when he talks about a spiritual man, he's not talking about a a man that's made up of some kind of ghostly body. He's talking about a man that's oriented toward the Spirit of God, a man that has the Spirit of God, a man that obeys the Spirit of God. That's the difference there that he's talking about. In the same vein... When, when Paul says our resurrection body will be a spiritual body, he doesn't mean it's, it's made out of spirit. That's not what he means at all. Somebody came up to me last week and said, you know, one of the beautiful things about the resurrection... Today we have a corrupt body for a corrupt nature. You ever thought about that? Your human nature is corrupt. It's fallen. It's sinful. And you've got a body to match it. Remember what we said last week? From the time you come out of the womb, you're dying. Your body's starting to, starting to corrupt, okay? Well, see, but our, our new spirit, that new creation, says all things are passed away. That new spirit, that, that when it's rejoined with that new body, it needs a body that fits that spirit. You've got an incorruptible spirit, you'll have an incorruptible body. You've got an immortal spirit, you'll have an immortal body to fit that spirit. See, when Paul says the resurrection body will be spiritual, that's not, he's, that's not what he means. He's not saying it's raised a spiritual body. He's not saying, oh, it's made out of ghostly material. No, he means it's dominated by the Spirit of God. It's oriented toward the Spirit of God. So when Paul today says flesh and blood can't inherit the, the, the kingdom of God, what, what he means is human nature the way it is. A man that's oriented toward its its human self, toward human nature, perishable, sinful, fallen, corrupted, that can't go to heaven. Okay, The body we have now will be the... Listen, the kingdom that we're going to live in is incorruptible, imperishable, immortal, perfect. And the body that inherits that world will need to be the same, incorruptible, imperishable, immortal, perfect. And that's exactly what God will give us. But listen to me, folks. There will be a real body. Don't you doubt it for a second. A glorious, imperishable body that we will have in heaven. But it will be fitted for that kingdom, and it will be fitted for the Spirit of God. Okay, It's going to be an amazing thing. Now, one more thought on this. And this thought is on Continuity. And I want to make sure you don't miss this because I think a lot of Christians have a misconception here about the resurrection. The resurrection is always described in terms of continuity, old body to the new body. You remember, I I, I gave you this scripture here just a few minutes ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 4. Paul says this, For while we are still in this tent, talking about this body, we groan, being burdened. And watch what he says, But wait a minute, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be what? further clothed. See, when Paul talks about the resurrection, when Paul talks about the body that we'll have in heaven, he doesn't say, oh, not that I want to get out of this body and get a new one. He says, I want to put on something additional. I want to be further clothed. Now, there's a hint there that there's some continuity between the body we have now and the body we'll have then. Look at verses 50 to 54. Actually, 51 to 54. Paul says this, and this is a wonderful description of the resurrection. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be... What's that word? Will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body should put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality... Then shall come to to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Do you see the continuity? Paul in that other verse says, we'll be further clothed. Then here he says, we'll be what? We'll be changed. And then he says, this body will what? Put on something else. You see, there's a continuity between this body and the next body. See, I think many Christians have this idea that God is going to create you a new body from scratch. That He's just going to start over. But guys, that's not what the Scripture says at all. Scripture doesn't teach that. You remember last week we talked about the analogy of the seed? The Bible says the resurrection is like the seed. The seed goes into the ground, it's covered with soil, and the warmth and the moisture and the gases cause that seed to die and decay. And out of that seed comes something different, right? Out of the pineapple seed comes a pineapple. Out of the apple seed comes an apple tree. Out of an acorn comes the oak tree. And what Paul is saying is out of your body that decays in the ground is going to come a new body, something of a new form, something different. But there's a continuity between the old and the the new. God is not going to start from scratch. See, when Paul says, folks, the dead will be raised, can I tell you he means exactly that? He doesn't just say that. If God meant to start all over with no continuity between the body you have today and the body he's going to give you, then why would Paul say the dead will be raised? Why would he say that? If God was just going to start from scratch and create us a new body, he doesn't need the old body to be raised. It just stays there in the dust and the ground, and he just comes over here and creates us something new. He doesn't need to do that. If God is just going to create new bodies that have no connection to the old body then you don't need to say the body will be raised. But see, he says it because it's true. See, God is going to take bodies who have decomposed, who are literally scattered across the earth or scattered into plants and animals for a thousand miles or have been vaporized. He's going to bring those bodies back together. He's going to raise them. And when he raises them, at some point, they're going to be changed into something new. But there's something about the continuity between the old and the new. So if you've ever thought that God is going to start from scratch, he is not going to start from scratch. He raises the dead because he needs that old body to turn it into the, the new. Do I understand that? No, I ain't got a clue what he's, why he's doing that. But listen, like I said last week, I don't understand why you've got to plant a seed to get an apple tree either. I don't understand how all that works, but that's exactly what God says the resurrection will be like. So Paul is teaching us two things. Number 1, the dead will be raised. That's continuity. And he also tells us that our bodies will be changed. The old body will become a new body, but it will be your body. Now, do I understand all that again? No, I don't got no clue what he's really Paul says, I'll tell you a mystery. It's a mystery how how God is going to is going to do it. One more thing, actually two more things. Why does this matter so much? See, We've been, we've, been, this is our, we've been on this a month talking about the resurrection. And I can almost hear somebody saying out here, you know, Derek, why would you bother with this so much? Well, the reason I'm bothering with it so much is because Paul bothered with it. He wrote a whole chapter on it. In fact, one of the longest chapters, in, if not the longest chapter in the New Testament, he wrote on the resurrection. So we might say, well, listen, isn't things like love and joy and truth and righteousness, isn't all those spiritual things more important? Why are we spending so much time on this new body? Isn't it kind of earthly, talking like that? You know, why does this matter so much? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons why it matters so much. Number one, because it's always been part of God's eternal plan. God, listen, God did not create this universe willy-nilly. Okay, everything has a purpose... And its purpose is to manifest or make known His glory. Psalm 19.1 says, "The heavens declare what the glory of God." Anybody walk outside last night, see that full moon, see them stars? You, how can you look at that and say, "Wow, that God is I got I, I got to know that guy. That guy's amazing. I need to know him." It, it declares His glory. He's, he's saying, "Look, this is, this is who I am. I made this." See, that's everything. And see, let me tell you, folks, He made all these physical things. He made that seed that dies and turns into into a plant. He made those things to glorify the Creator. And let me tell you, your body is no different. Your body is one of those physical things that that God created for His glory. That's always been His plan. Always been His plan. And He is not going to stop now. He's not just going to say, you know... I created Adam and Eve and those, those human bodies, but this thing really had not worked out too good. I think I'll just go do something different. No, it's always been His plan from the beginning that our bodies glorify Him. We all know this scripture, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body glorifies God. That was the plan then, that's the plan now, and that will be the plan forever. You will have a body. Listen, in heaven, you will raise hands to glorify God. You will sing songs with a a tongue and a voice to glorify God. You will use that hand to take off that crown and cast it before His feet, and you'll do all that with a body that glorifies Him. Will it be like this body? No. It'll be a different form but listen, you will be doing physical things. You will eat and drink in heaven. You will do things in heaven. You will have a body that will, glorify, that will glorify Him. Why does God go to all this trouble to change a corrupt human body into an incorruptible one? Let me tell you why. Because His Son paid the price in this life so that God could be glorified in your body, not just now, but forever. He paid that price, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57, look at what Paul says. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying there? You see, the sting of death is sin. You know why death is so bad for most people? Did you know the Bible says that most people live their whole lives in fear of death? Why? Because there's a judgment on the other side. See, that's the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But you see, Christ bore the curse of sin on that tree. Christ satisfied the demands of the law. That's why a Christian can walk into death with no fear, because there's no judgment on the other side. We've been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God will not dishonor the work of his, the work of His Son. That's why He will raise your body from the dead... And you will use your body forever to glorify Jesus. I just, I just, I mean, that's just, if you just see that continuity of his plan, it's an awesome thing. That's why you, by the way, it's why you have a body now to glorify God, is it not? That's why you'll have a body in heaven to glorify and praise him forever. Number two, why is the resurrection so important? Because the hope of the resurrection should change how you live your life today. The reason God revealed to us in the Bible, Paul says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. He didn't have to tell us that, but he did. He said, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And the reason he revealed to us that mystery, the reason he wants us to know what will happen to us when we die is because knowing what happens to us should change the way we live. You see, what it should do, look at verse 58. Paul says at the end of this chapter, Paul says one word, I've said all this, and then he says, Therefore... Everybody knows what that means when you say therefore, right? That means because of all the things that I've said to you, because of all the things that I've taught to you about the resurrection, now watch what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Because there's something great coming. There's something great coming. Don't give up. Be steadfast. Don't don't be shaking like the winds of the wave, moving you back and forth. Be immovable and keep doing good works. Keep pressing. Keep studying. Keep praying. Keep, keep, Keep doing all the things that you've been doing because, listen, your labor, Paul says, is not going to be in vain. You see, the hope of the resurrection should replace fear of death with anticipation. You see, when fear goes out of your life, and it's replaced with hope and anticipation, can I tell you, everything's different. You live your life differently. Our lives begin to show that our treasure's in heaven. Our lives begin to show that, you know what, we really are strangers here. This really is not our home. I was made for something more than this. And you begin to live your life with that reality. You see, when we relish the hope of the resurrection, we don't yield to the sinful pleasures of the moment, we're not suckered in, as, as Pastor Henry talked about last week, by advertising that says the one with the most toys live wins. We know that's not real. We know that's not right. You can't fool us, because we got a hope. We got an anticipation that we're living toward. We don't. We don't devote our best energies to laying up treasures here on earth. We devote our best energy to laying up treasures for eternity. See how everything changes when you know there's going to be a, a resurrection, when you know the truth about what happens to you when you die and you believe it, that truth sets you free. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? He says you'll know the truth and it'll set you free. When you really understand the resurrection and you believe it, can I tell you, it'll set you free from, from being chained to this life. Free from the short, shallow, stupid, suicidal pleasures of sin. That's why the resurrection is important. All right i got nine minutes. I'm going to take a rabbit turn. I want to talk just for a minute here about heaven. We've spent the last month talking about the resurrection. haven't talked a whole lot about heaven. I want to talk about it just for a minute. Where will we live? Well, everybody says heaven, right? Well, we'll live in heaven. But where is that? Where is heaven? Is it some place out in the sky? Where is it? Let me tell you, heaven as it exists today, is temporary. Okay? I don't want to shock y'all by saying any of these things, but heaven today... How many of y'all have lost loved ones that have gone to be with Jesus? Most of us have. They are separated from their body. By the way, they are with Christ. The Bible tells us that. They are in heaven, but the place where they are is temporary. They won't be there for eternity. Two things are going to change. Number one, they will change. Because why? Why? They're going to get their bodies back. Number two, the place where they live will also change. A few years ago, when I was running the youth program, I asked a youth one night to design heaven. I broke them up into groups and said, now go design what heaven would be like for you. And, and you can imagine what kids come back with, right? There was amusement parks and fountains that ran chocolate all day long and, 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 you know, buckets of Skittles that you never could... You know, you scoop them out and they just fill back up with Skittles that was heaven. But let me ask you a question this morning. What would heaven be, if I ask you that question, what, if you could design heaven, what would heaven be for you? And I'm not looking for an answer, but I want you to think about it for just a second. What would you design, what would heaven be for you? Just think about that for a second. Can I, I hope, and my guess is when I think about heaven, I, I don't I don't think about sitting in an easy chair all day watching TV. I think about, see, I well, I won't go down my heaven, but we won't go that way. Here's what I want you to see. If we'd all be honest, we like it here. This is what we like. What we really want, if you'll be honest, is to live here on an earth, but in a world not tainted by sin, not tainted by corruption. A world can I tell you this is a beautiful world. It's beautiful, man. God is, this is an unbelievable creation. The problem with it is all the mess. It's the mess, all the sin. And, and and this world is beautiful, but then you got tornadoes and you got earthquakes and you got pollution and you got all this mess. But wouldn't it be great to live in a world that was like this, that was perfect but without all the problems? Isn't that what we really want? Don't I mean yes or no? Okay? Here's the good news. That's exactly what God has got planned for you. That's exactly what God has got planned for you. You see, it's no coincidence that the first two chapters of the Bible begin with the creations of the heavens and the earth, and the last two chapters end with the recreation of the heavens and the earth. Let's read it. Revelation 21, 1-4. through John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a what? A what? A new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that corrupted one, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isaiah 116 through 11 says this, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. This week, I I um. I gotta say this real quick. But this week, I was sitting in my office and I heard my sheep. I got some sheep and I heard them out there making a the noise. Kathy says, "Well, I quit telling this story." I heard them making all this noise. I thought something's wrong. Well, I opened. I looked out the window. and They're in my front yard, and I thought, "Oh, they got out." So I run out there, get my boots on, run out there, and it was my neighbor's sheep. And so I'm. I, I take them back over, they follow me, and I get them back in their pen. And when I'm coming across the yard, and I see my two dogs. And I didn't know it, but they had caught one of the babies. And they killed it. And I immediately thought of this. See, that's just, there's not going to be any more of that. The lion lays down with the lamb. That, all the corruption. See, folks, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And you will live on this new earth. And the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven to this earth. And God will live with us. Not there. He'll dwell with us here. It, it, you, you love this earth? You like this earth? Good. You're going to be here forever. Get used to it. But it'll be an earth with all the beauty, all the perfection, and none of the bad. That I mean, see, that, that when I first learned that, because i am be honest with you, as a teenager, I, I didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't really want to go to heaven. It sounded like the most boringest place I could ever... I, you mean i got to go forever? And sit on a cloud and play a harp? Who wants to do that? Right? But you won't be doing those things. You won't be doing those things at all. Okay? When God created this planet, at the very beginning, He said this. It is what? Very good. And let me tell you, He's going to put it back that way. All that was lost at the beginning will be restored at the end, and we will live here forever and ever. What happens to our bodies and what happens to creation go together, by the way. Just as the new, the, old, the, new, the new earth is a recreation of the earth the way it's supposed to be, our new bodies will be a recreation of our bodies the way they're supposed to be. It, it all kind of goes together. You and I will live in a resurrected body on a restored and a redeemed earth, and we will live here forever. That's why Jesus said Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You will live here forever. Okay? I, I tell you, when I I don't know about y'all, but this month has been I just I'm just getting excited. I'm I'm getting excited. I had a friend of mine die I grew up with yesterday died of a I'm not sure of a heart attack or what it a stroke or whatever, just same age as me and dropped dead and I was sitting out there, at the time I heard the news, I was outside and with, with my youngest son, and, I, you know, I thought, my first thought was, well, Derek, that could have been you. You need to enjoy every moment that you have. But that lasted about a second. And I thought, no, that's not the way I think anymore. That's not the way I, this isn't it. This, this, this earth isn't some kind of time, sand, you know, what's the thing, that, what do they call those things the sand goes through? An hourglass, the earth isn't like that. You know, for other people it is. You better squeeze as much out of it as you can. But it ain't that way for me. It ain't that way for me. I've got an eternity to look forward to. If I've got ten more years or ten more minutes on this earth, that's that's up to God. But I've got an eternity with Him. And I hope an eternity with you. Because we will inherit this earth. Listen, what's the difference between now and then? God will be with us. You know the Bible says we don't even have we won't have a need of a son? A son. You know why? Because He's there. He provides all the light that we need. Listen, today heaven and earth are separate, but in the new creation it will not be that way. Have you ever said you ever said a situation to say this is heaven on earth? Have you ever said that? Well, let me tell you, it will be heaven on earth. So let's look forward to it. Let's pray. Father, what a what a chapter, First Corinthians. I am.